Well, if I missed you initially, good morning to you and a Merry Christmas. Uh, it is a joyous day to be in God's house today. And there's something about, um, oops, there's something about every Christmas service where it just feels like there's, there's joy in the air. There seems to be the mood is great. And this morning when I woke up, I was like, oh man, we're going to get a rainy Christmas. And then the sun just started breaking through the clouds. And I was like, yes, indeed the sun had come, S-O-N. And that's who we're worshiping this day. This morning, I'd like us to consider the topic, your race matters. Your race matters. As, as, as I prepared this uh, the sermon um, this past week, I, I was thinking in my mind that it's beautiful in Acadia. In Acadia, what's beautiful is as we gather here this morning, we have people from all different ethnicities. We have people who are Kosa speaking. Any Kosa speakers in the house? Kosa, Kosa, am I the only? Oh, the only two of us. Yes, we'll, we'll stand firm. And then we have all the other people, the Zulus, the English. <laughs> Um, then we also have Zulu-speaking people. We have the English, we have the Tswana, the Tonga, we have the Swahili, the Afrikaans, the French, we have the Ndebele, we have the Yoruba, we have the Venda-speaking people, and loads more. These people, some come from the southern parts of Africa, some part come from central parts of Africa. In central, we, have, we also have people from outside of Africa, all gathering together to worship the Lord in their different ethnicities. But though these people are from different ethnicities, I want to say this morning that they are from one race originally, and this is Adam's race. One race, Adam's race. So this morning, my challenge to you is that your race matters. In the end, on that day when we stand before the judgment seat of God, your race will determine your, etern- your eternal destiny. So this morning, I want to introduce you to the only two options that exist. And no, it's not black or white, but it's Adam's race or Christ's race. These are the only two races that exist. And this morning, I want to ask the question, to which race do you belong? Do you belong to Christ's race or Adam's race? So turn with me in Romans chapter 5, and we'll start reading from verse 12 all the way to verse 21. So that is Romans chapter 5, and we'll start our reading from verse 12 to verse 21. Your race matters. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Moses to Adam, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's trespass. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. 
but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Won't you pray with me again, God? This morning I come to you as your servant, praying, God, that your spirit would speak through me. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to consider that question, to which race do we belong? I pray, Father, that in our hearts you would minister to us in a special way through your spirit, that, God, as we go through this sermon, you'd help us to ask ourselves the question, if, if indeed we say we belong to Christ, is there evidence that indeed we belong to Christ? Or are we still showing fruit that we are still in Adam? And God, I pray that if to this morning there is one who, who, who doesn't know you, Lord, they may have been coming to this church for many years, but God, if, if they haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, Lord, I pray that today you would save them. As we celebrate Christmas, the day when God became flesh, the day when God stepped into human history, I pray, God, that you would save them. Lord, remind them of this day in their lives every day. But God, also when we leave, I pray that you give us opportunities to share this truth to all God who have ears to hear and hearts that believe. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I'd like us to consider is that race of Adam, Adam's race. In Adam's race, Adam is head. In Adam's race, Adam is head. So if you've been in church for a long time or if you've been around church people, you would have read through Genesis chapter 1. For from Sunday school we are taught that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, only those two, male and female, he created them. So when God created Adam and Eve and commanded them, hey, be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth, he was telling them that you are about to create this new race, this Adamic race, the human race. So therefore, this human race did not evolve from some amoeba or from monkeys, but humanity or the human race was created by God in Christ from Adam and his wife Eve. This race God had created, he created them in the garden, the garden of Eden, in order that they would all enjoy fellowship with God, that we might be friends with God. If Adam had not sinned, we would have been enjoying this fellowship with God in the garden in innocence. In Genesis, we read that God walked with them in the cool of the day. And from this, we see that the pleasure of relationship still existed between God and man. This was life. 
man and his wife naked in the garden, being stewards of God's beautiful creation, enjoying union before God, raising their kids for God, walking in fellowship of God. We were to be born into that system of innocence, in the pleasure of God. In this system, there was no death. There was no suffering, poverty, or pain. We were just to work, to eat, to drink, to do all things to the glory of God in innocence. But as you know, and you can clearly see in the world that this is still not so, all went wrong because man sinned. Because of sin, this fellowship with God, this friendship with God was broken, and therefore friendship and fellowship with God became impossible because the sin nature has come into man. We see in verse 12, it says, Just as sin came into the world, Through one man, Adam, and death reigned through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. In verse 19, it says, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. It is clear from Scripture that as descendants of Adam, Adam, we are born into sin. Because we have Adam as our federal head, we are all sinners in this room with no exceptions. When Adam fell into sin, the result was that every one of his descendants was infected with the sin nature. David lamented this fact. In Psalm 51 verse 5, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now church, as we gather here this morning, we know this truth, but I want to remind us. That because we all are sinners, as we see in Scripture, we had fallen short of the glory of God. We are deserving of the wages of sin, which is death. We are deserving to die for our sins because we sinned against a, a holy God. We loved the darkness rather than the light because our works are evil. And therefore, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their works will be exposed by this glorious light of God. So as I said in the beginning of the sermon, we have people in this room from different ethnicities. But church, these won't matter on the last day. What will matter is to what race do you belong? Are you of Adam's race or are you of Christ's race? Why? Because Adam's race is cursed. Adam's race is cursed. Now as I outline the rest of this sermon, you'll notice that in Romans chapter, in Romans chapter 6 in our passage this morning, it seems as though uh, 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 Paul is, is describing two people. In Adam, it looks like this. In Christ, it looks like this. If you are in Adam, this is what we have. But if you are in Christ, this is what we'll get. And for the rest of the sermon, this is what we're going to outline. So what I'll do is I'll read that verse again, but I'll only read Adam's side. And if you are in Adam, it says this about you. It says that death came through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the trespass of Adam, who was a type. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15, if many died through one man's trespass, Adam, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's trespass. 
For the judgment following one's trespass brought condemnation. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So what do we read here? My first sub-point. In Adam, sin dwells. Now Adam was not the originator of sin. We know that because Adam sinned, we all sinned, but he was not the originator of sin. In fact, the devil instituted it. He inaugurated it. He launched sin with his rebellion into heaven. But what happened in the garden is that Adam yielded to the devil's temptation, introducing sin into humanity. His fall took down the entire human race into corruption, and the whole creation has suffered and is suffering because of Adam's sin. And because of this, as we saw in our first point, our natural disposition, where we launch from, we launch from a place of sin. Because there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one in this world who is born deserving of heaven, deserving of the presence and fellowship of God because of our sinful disobedience and because of our disbelief. FYI, for your information, I want you to know that there are currently no innocent people in hell. There are no innocent people in hell because all who are in Adam are in fact enemies of God living in constant rebellion against the Lord God Almighty. And because of this, in Adam, death reigns. God is a holy God. God is a God who hates sin. God will not let your sin go unpunished. If you are sitting in this room today, believer or unbeliever, don't go about living in your sin. God will not let your sin go unnoticed. All who remain in Adam are dead spiritually and therefore cannot overcome the power of sin. God said in the garden, If you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. You will be disobeying me. You will be going against my will. You will be denying my goodness over you. Adam, surely you will die if you eat of this fruit. And church, dying we are. Our bodies are wasting away because of the reality of sin. I don't like it, but the truth is that I'm aging. (laughs) We all are aging. We are aching. We are dying because of sin. From dust you came and from dust you will return. Church, not only did Adam's body start to die when he ate the fruit, but he also died spiritually. He was cut from the life of God. He was dead in any ability to communicate with God. He was dead to God and he was as dead as a corpse. That is what spiritual death looks like. It is separation from God and his life. And so in Adam, judgment looms. Our verse says, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. A theologian called Anselm said this, He says, every sin is sin against an eternal God. And even one sin against an eternal being deserves eternal punishment. 
The misery and torment of hell points to the seriousness and the wickedness of sin. Church, we could never adequately in our finite minds describe the horror of hell. But friends, it is a reality. Because of sin, all who are in Adam will suffer with the devil and his demons in hell for all eternity for their sins. And church, this is why we have the incarnation of Jesus. This is why we celebrate God becoming flesh. This is the beauty of the Christmas story. It is evidence that God did not write us off. He did not just cast us away. Instead, he came himself to sort things out. God came into the world to save us. Jim Packer puts it this way. The second person of the Trinity, sent by the first person, empowered by the third person, came to save us and give us a new birth. And that's my second point. Christ's chosen race. Moving from Adam to Christ. Now we'll read the second part of the passage that I did not read. So it reads in the second part, it says, Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So in Christ's race, we have Christ as head. An author named Badzik, he wrote an amazing article in partnership with Matthew Henry. And, and I want to give us three points that he gives in that article, and I have them as well on the screen there. And in these points, he was, he was referring to how Jesus took the curse given to mankind, given to, earth, to Adam in the garden, and Jesus had suffered this curse when he was on earth. The first thing Badzik says, he says, When Jesus was fully entering into the work of redemption, we are told that he, he sweat great drops of blood in the garden. Matthew Henry noted, Sweat came in with sin and was a branch of the curse. And therefore, when Christ was made sin and a curse for us, he underwent a grievous sweat, and that in the sweat of his face we might eat bread, and that he might sanctify and sweeten all our trials for us. Secondly, Jesus wore a crown of thorns during his hours of suffering. This seems to me, the author says, is one of the most powerful pictures of him becoming sin-bearing, curse-removing second Adam. Again, Matthew Henry wrote, Thorns came in with sin and were part of the curse that was the product of sin. Therefore, Christ being made a curse for us and dying to remove the curse from us felt the pain and smart of those thorns, nay, the binds, and binds them for us where his glory. Finally, Jesus died. One of the details about the suffering of which we read in Scripture 
is that he breathed his last. God had given men the breath of life, and Jesus, the second man, the last Adam, gave up the breath so that we might have the spiritual breath of life. This is Jesus, the second and last Adam, born of God, born to a virgin Mary, free from the seed of Adam, meaning that Jesus was free from sin from birth. But we also see that he was without sin in his life. Not only was he born sinless, but he lived without sin. And like Adam, he was tempted by the one who came in the garden. The same picture we have in the garden of the serpent coming to tempt Adam, we see it in scripture when the serpent, but this time as Satan himself, came to tempt Jesus. But praise God, Jesus didn't cave. The first thing we see in this temptation is the devil comes to Jesus saying, number one, have your needs met by me? Satan comes to Jesus and says, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He's saying having, he wants Jesus to have his needs met by Satan at the wrong time. The second thing we see in the temptation is he says to enter, he tempts Jesus to enter into his reign immediately without the pain and suffering of the cross. In Matthew 4 verse 5 it says, and the devil took him, took Jesus to the holy hill and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are indeed the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. He also offered him something other than God. He forced Jesus to doubt the goodness of God. In fact, he wanted Jesus to doubt the goodness of God by saying, Taking him to a very high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. All three times when the devil comes and tempts Jesus, Jesus responds with God's word. He responds to Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. He responds to Deuteronomy 6 verse 16. And lastly, he responds to Deuteronomy 6 verse 13. Jesus did not fall into temptation like Adam. Jesus lived a perfect life. He did not sin in any way. He fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law of God. So all who are born in this Jesus inherit his righteousness. Amen, church? Not only are we born to a new life, but we also become new creatures. We become a chosen race with a new heart created in us. Why? Because this one man's obedience, through this one man's obedience, the many are made righteous. So we saw Adam's race is cursed, but church, Christ's race is blessed. In Christ, we are declared righteous. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Just the life of Christ is as important as the death of Christ. In his righteousness, church, we are declared righteous. 
Because Jesus was tempted at all points, yet he did not sin. Because he fulfilled the whole law, we have inherited this righteousness. These good works of Jesus Christ have been imputed into our account. That when on that day we stand before the judgment seat of God, our record will be stated with a red stamp with the blood of Christ, righteous. Righteous we have been declared. Like I said, there are no innocent people in hell. I want to assure you that there are no sinful people in heaven. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. He renewed us. He has given us a new birth in Jesus Christ. And in this new birth, He has given us a new head, which is Him, and a new heart through His Spirit. So therefore, in Christ, we have grace upon grace. He says, much more, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. In Christmas time, we sing the carol. No more let sins and sorrows grow. No thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. It was an act of grace that Jesus would give sinful, undeserving sinners this grace, this free gift of salvation. Not only are you saved by grace, but church, you're also growing in grace. As the Spirit of God works in you, you are to work out your salvation in fear and in, trem in trembling. Not only that, but you are also able to resist the devil. You are able to endure and to persevere in the face of trials and in temptations. You are able to overcome evil through Jesus Christ's victory over sin. This glorious God's grace is sufficient for every believer today. Church, even when you've experienced the sting of sin, even when you've experienced the, the sting of sin, whether you've, you've seen a loved one suffer and die, or whether you yourself are, are suffering with pain and heartache, or whether you are reading in the news about the terrible things that are happening in the world, I want you to know that because of this Jesus, there is grace for you, and His grace is sufficient. His grace abounds. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read that for all eternity, we will be learning about the grace of God. Not only that, but church, when you sin, His grace abounds. You are able to enter into the throne room of grace seeking His mercy. You can plead for His forgiveness with this promise firm in your mind and in your heart that if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us and not only forgive us, but He also wipes our slate clean, forgetting our sins as far as the east is from the west. Why? Because in Jesus, we are free from condemnation. Our current state and our eternal status is justified. In Christ, we are free from the power and the penalty of sin, waiting for that day when we will be free from its presence. In Christ today, the wrath of God rests no longer over you, but I can enjoy His love, His mercy, and His grace, and I can call Him Father. 
in Christ, I am no longer under the dominion of darkness. I, I no longer have the father of lies, the devil as my father. I am no longer a slave to sin, but I am in the dominion of light. I am now a slave to righteousness. I have God as my father, and behold, I am made new. This is the Jesus church we worship today. All because of Jesus being fully God and becoming fully man. He put himself under the power of sin, under the power of death and the wrath of God to take the curse which I deserved. He allowed that curse to fall upon himself. Jesus broke the power of sin. He removed the sting from physical death because he gave us an unwavering hope. And he took the wrath of God, bringing many sons to glory. Oh, so are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There is light. Look for a Savior. Sorry, there is light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So to close us this morning, just implications, verse 20 and 21. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law of God has clearly been declared and the law of God has clearly declared to us that we are guilty. As I've tried to explain to us today that in Adam we are sinful men condemned to hell. The sin of Adam brought about death to all mankind but praise God for the grace we have in Jesus. Him becoming man, living a perfect life, dying on that Roman cross, brought us much grace leading to eternal life. Matthew Henry says, sin reigned unto death. It was a cruel and bloody reign. But grace reigns to life, eternal life, and this life through righteousness. Righteousness imputed to us for justification, imputed in us for sanctification, And both by Jesus Christ our Lord, through the power and efficacy of Christ, the great prophet, the priest and king of his church. So to close, I want to close with with a carol. And the carol reads, Born thy people to deliver. Born a child, yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. Born thy own eternal spirit, rule in our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that you would lead one of your your lost sheep back into your fold. Lord, I pray for the one who is still living in Adam, caught up in their sin, offending you day by day by their callous actions of rebellion. 
Lord, today I pray that by the power of your spirit and by your word, oh Lord, won't you give them with that precious gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would give them that gift of faith. And Lord, I pray that you would help us even as believers. That Lord, we would cast ourselves down before the majesty of this good God. I pray that you'd help us to ask him daily to forgive our sins and to renew us in the image of Christ and to fulfill all his purposes in and through us. Oh God, thank you for that perfect life that Jesus lived. Thank you for his subsequent death and resurrection. Lord, the church has its breath today because of Jesus. And God, today we want to celebrate and thank you. I pray as well today that you would burden us. Burden us to proclaim your name to all the earth. Burden us, God, even as we are about to sing, to go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is Lord. So God, I pray that your message would really work in our hearts. God, help us to ask ourselves the question, to whose race do we belong? Do we belong? Are we still in Adam's race or are we in Christ? And God, if we say that we are in Christ, again I ask and I plead, God, is there evidence? Is there evidence that I have been made new? Am I living like Jesus? God, I pray that you would help us even today on this celebratory day to come before you, Lord, and even bring our hearts If there is any sin, God, I pray you'd forgive us and make us new this day, I pray. In Jesus' matchless and wonderful name, amen.